I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Say podcast. Uh, it's your newest host, uh, Jimmy Ray, here for another uh, podcast with the boy Mickey Loft. Today we're doing something a little bit different. We've actually gone back in time. Uh, we have been looking at the famous, well, famous if you're from Sunderland, uh, ITV Time Tees documentary. Meanwhile, back in Sunderland, which documents um, the d- a day in the life of people in Sunderland on the fifth of May, nineteen seventy-three, as uh, a certain football game is taking place at Wembley. So we've had a Basically, we've had a look through the documentary, we've watched it, we've, we've got some thoughts on it, and we're just going to sort of have a chat about it, um, sort of working our way through it. And I would, we will obviously post a link for, uh, on Twitter as well for where you can watch it afterwards, and I recommend everyone does, because it's a lovely, lovely little intro uh, for another big game at Wembley this weekend. So, uh, Mickey, do you want to start us off? Yeah, so um, basically, as it implies, meanwhile, back in Sunderland, um, it was from five o'clock on cup final day. Um, there was four different camera crews filmed in the city of Sunderland from five in the morning through till midnight. And fortunately, because we won, it made an absolutely cracking documentary. And I think it portrayed the people of Sunderland in an absolutely brilliant light. I think before we get cracking, Jim, I want to ask you, obviously, being from a Sunderland supporting family, do you have any kind of like family kind of um, tales from that day to tell or...? Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that um, unfortunately not none of my family members actually went to the game. My uh, my dad um, wanted to go, but I believe was slightly too young at the time to, to be able to go down on his own. Um, and my my granddad on my mum's side, obviously he was a big Sunderland fan at the time, and I believe just just sort of watched the game in Sunderland because obviously tickets were quite hard to come by. I believe obviously with the as uh, as Gareth's dad was talking about on the on the pod recently, he was having to get coupons and things like that. So there was certainly as the documentary shows a lot of people who sort of watched it. At home, but I remember, both of them I've talked to about uh, talked to them about it, and obviously they just talk about sort of the massive sort of impact it had on Sunderland as a city as a whole, and obviously across the fan base with the dramatic where we got to Wembley as well. It just the whole scene thing sort of seemed. We'll discuss this a bit more throughout the documentary, but they've both mentioned it as well how it just seemed sort of inevitable that Sunderland were going to win that day. There was just a feeling among anyone, and even people in Sunderland who didn't like football, what's the game? Do you know what I mean? I mean, everyone was watching it. And uh, yeah, so my my main sort of family family memories, obviously my mum and dad and, and grandparents all sort of watched it in, in Sunderland and in their homes and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, the, the feeling of just inevitability is the main thing that, that I've always got from them when talking about the game. Yeah, from a personal point of view, it's a little bit um, different. So, like, I've got a bit of a funny one from my granddad. So, same as you guys, like, we just watched a match in, like, a living room crowded around, like, a, a tiny TV. 
And because the TVs were so tiny, you had to sit relatively close to the TV to get a good view. My uncle Brian, who ironically isn't into football at all these days, like he was like a child when this game went on. I can't remember exactly how old he was, but he was crowded um, around the TV and he strategically placed himself underneath the mantelpiece. And I think you all know where this is going. Porterfield scores, leaps up, cracks his head, which if you know Uncle Brian probably explains a lot. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, not the, he's, not in the, he's not in the best of ways. And my granddad just turned to him and said, right, there's absolutely no way you're going anywhere until this full-time whistle goes mind. <laughs> <laughs> priority. Probably the right priority, you know, given that it was Brian's own fault anyway. I think that's fair so, enough. <laughs> so, so, yeah, he, he lived his tail and he was absolutely fine. Um, but my granddad kind of had the kind of like seat between administer um, some emergency first aid <laughs> yeah to be fair I don't think hospital was ultimately needed but um, yeah so you can see exactly where kind of my granddad's priorities were and maybe where <laughs> I'll get from but yeah so just to kind of introduce the documentary before we go into the actual programme itself I think it's important what you touched on Jim to remember what kind of social conditions were like in Sunderland back in 1973 and obviously it was a time of kind of like quite like bad economic hardship for the region yeah. which we're going through like now but but then it was even worse in some ways we had the three day week was introduced um yeah. and kind of like morale in the town was at kind of an all-time low and you'll see this is a thing throughout the documentary but talk about how the success of a football club actually not only breathed life into the football team but into the town and yeah. i think that kind of symbolizes the relationship that the, that the town and the city has always had with a football club and the, the success of the two usually do go hand in hand so yeah uh, yeah so kind of the documentary starts with kind of showing the area around like Sunderland train station and kind of hordes of people excitedly kind of dancing down the street with the kind of like the ribbons and the rosettes and I think and the rattles the rattles they always have the rattles nobody knows why they have them but they all seem to have <laughs> Super, but I think what one of the first notes I've got written down. Well, the first one is "fuck me, Sunderland Town hasn't changed much." Like no. honestly, <laughs> a, a, every single shot everywhere is just so recognisable. Like you yeah. picture it in your head. Like there was one shot. I was like, "Oh wait, Greg's is there now," and then we've got yeah, Penrith. Well, yeah, exactly. So I was picturing because I, I walked through there to the, to the stadium every single every single match day. I walked down that street, so it it was kind of weird to see to see it sort of in in, in nineteen seventy three, looking at as you say, very similar. Well, I think uh, one of the first things I've observed is kind of it looked like it just a much more innocent era. I think this is a kind of in-between period between kind of uh, the 1960s and the, if this was before kind of football hooliganism was kind of like yeah. massively on the rise. So I think it is looking at a bit more of like an, an innocent era. So, for example, now I think... And I'm don't mean this in a disparaging way. Like I'm one of the aforementioned people I'm about to talk about, but they'd kind of be like kind of quote unquote clobbered up with being a stolen island of a Fred Perry or kind big of, bag of cans. Yeah, <laughs> big, big big bag of cans, people like kind of like squigging at that time in the morning already. Yeah. But on this one there wasn't, it was just kind of like a raw excitement. Yeah. As they were heading to the train station, and and as you say, like the, the rosettes and and the rattles and the ribbons, and yeah. it was either that or you had the real formality of the old timers going to the match with all the full suits, yeah, but, but full with, on like, with maybe a little Sunderland hat on. There was one guy who had a really really smart suit on. I think he actually gets interviewed briefly. He said he was born. Well, he said he, he said he was sixty years old. So that would mean he was born in nineteen thirteen. So he's obviously lived through. This was the first note time I'd actually about this. He, he's obviously lived through the world, world War One as a child. He's he's probably had an active part to play in World War Two, and he's from a totally different era to what to what we would think of now. Yeah. Obviously, he'd be, he'd be hundred. He'd be hundred and nine if he was still alive. Now, presumably, he isn't like. 
But uh, even he, he's just saying... Apologies to the family if you're listening. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, apologies to anyone if, if he's identifiable. But I just think the way he talks about it, even he is so excited. And he's, yeah. obviously he references the fact that he was at the 1937 Cup final and, and how it's like the best thing to happen to the city since 1937. And I think that kind of sums it all up. Like, um, and he, like, like mentioned, he in his smart suit with his little Sunderland hat on and uh, maybe I think he's got a rosette as well and I think he, he just looks like totally different you'd never see a fellow like that going to a football match no. in this day and age at all and what I think he summed up really well that bloke is kind of the the reserved kind of enthusiasm of kind of northeast men of that era yeah and I think like what we saw throughout this was kind of like peak excitement for a northeast male of that era yeah. like Whereas now I think people would be a lot more like Gideon Expressive, like, yeah. like right, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like I mean I've seen people like describe themselves after the game. I'm jumping the gun a bit, but I was like pleased that we won. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like kind of, oh yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite pleased about it. You know, um, <laughs> it's a lovely, but, but, lovely sort of like mid 20th century British reservedness to it, isn't it? It's like, oh yes, that was quite enjoyable. I'm really, I'm going to go and have a nice cup of tea now. That kind of thing, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, it was kind of, it was like, oh yeah, we'll we'll let the bands and the lasses get excited, and we're like <laughs> mentioning out like step over lip kind of mentality but um another, uh, sorry go on. no go on mate you go ahead I, I was just going to reference another person in that queue who stood out to me was there uh, montgomery's mother-in-law is mm. uh is getting on that bus and um obviously she's uh quite a well-to-do woman as you'd expect sort of the mother of, of, of a well the mother-in-law of a professional footballer even back then footballers were certainly you know tended to be sort of quite well-to-do and uh well certainly had, had, had money and stuff and i think but like, she just looks so proud um, when she's the way she speaks about it, she you can just tell in her face like how, like it, it clearly is like it's a massive thing for anybody. But to cut and obviously to, to foreshadow the role Monty ends up playing in that game as well. But she even calls it as one nil as well, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, just how proud and sort of excited she looked uh, to obviously be going down to watch her son-in-law play. Um, I thought really, really stood out to me. Yeah, that was that was a lovely moment. I mean, like how proud she! I would have loved to have seen her kind of like after the game. How proud she would have been. I was ho- I was hoping the first time I watched it that they'd find these people afterwards on the way back and uh, and, and interview them again because, like you say, it would be brilliant to see what, to see her reaction afterwards given what he did in the match. Yeah, because to be fair, like with the way that like replays, she probably wasn't even aware of that, like how good that save was until days later when she got back yeah. and saw it on the local news. Um, but no, I'll tell you a bit, I really enjoy so um your man in the shirt and tie, he got so close to predicting the actual outcome. I think he said 28 minutes, Bobby Kerr 1-0. <laughs> so he, he's three minutes out and the wrong scorer, but that is a hell of an effort. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope let's we put let's hope we put some kind of scorecast on or something like that. It was brilliant. The way he said it was such confidence as well. Couldn't yeah. tell if he was joking or not, but then he gets that close to it that you think maybe he just he just is a bit of a, a bit of a football predicting expert because uh, yeah it was brilliant. It's the kind of show where you know like when you see a really unlikely set of events happen in the game, there's always that one prick who's put like a hundred quid on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it's three red cards in the first half, something like that. Yeah, it's the kind of thing you never you never predict. But yeah, it's great, and I think that again that just like the innocence of it, like the way they're all just that kind of that kind of conversation with an interview, you just probably wouldn't see. You know, getting onto getting onto a supporters bus to go to Wembley in this day and age. I just thought it was really, really nice. It was, it and was great. Sort of the, the footage leaves the as the, the bus obviously pulls away and it sort of starts focusing on other people because it, it pans I think it's it's eight o'clock or half eight in the in the same area and the town is just obviously dead. Because it's a Saturday and it's it's eight o'clock. But so you can slowly see people starting to fill out and then obviously it shows them opening up the markets and the shops and the Various footage of like there's that woman dusting down the counter of a shop and all that, and they've all got signs in saying closing at half one and all that. And 
Then there's the then, it, then and obviously it, it, it in, there's crowds of people just in the street and there's some dancing girls at one point doing some kind of like high kick high kick dance dance routine in the street at about ten o'clock in the morning, which which is quite funny. <laughs> Again, I think I'm in danger of becoming a little bit like nostalgic for an era that I never lived through. But what I think is great about that as well, so like you say, the girls dancing in the streets and um, all the kind of I don't I don't think you would I don't think you would necessarily get that these days. Like fair enough, I think people would be excited, but I don't think you would see spontaneous gaggles of people kind of <laughs> um, with, with, you know with the um, with all the attire and singing like we're, we're going to win the cup. Even the AI Adio song again, like the innocence, yeah. it's just it's, yeah. it's super. It's super well, you just never hear now. Oh, no, I also very much doubt you'd get people allowed to finish work at half one to go and watch the match either. No, that, that is great. <laughs> But I'll tell you what, though, we're talking about like shops being closed and all, all that. What is superb is a sign, which this is about the tenth time I've watched this. Like, yeah. not, not not for this podcast. I mean, like in, in general. Um, but no, so there's this brilliant sign as a mark of sympathy towards Messrs. Bremner, yeah. Giles, and company. This shop will close at two p.m. on Saturday, fifth of May, and I've just put genius. I know it's amazing, isn't it? It's it's just the way it's done, and that because it just quickly flashes to it and shows it, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, the fact that again, like that, that's the sort of like humour from it from an area that you again you wouldn't get now. But I think it's brilliant. It's 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 a genuinely funny sign, and and it's just one of them that it's sort of I don't know. It just it, the fact they've added it in that it definitely adds something to the documentary. Just as like a standalone, it's, standalone. it's absolutely it's incredible. And I tell you what, I think's great as well. Like when you when you speak to all of these people, so when the speak the interview a bus driver, the interview kind of like people in the shops around the town. What yeah. amazes me? Did you hear a single person predict the Leeds victory? No, not not one. I mean, it, it was it was crazy. The bus driver I thought probably sounded the most nervous out of everyone interviewed. Even he uh-huh. said he thought we'd probably win, but he said he was very nervous about it. There was the guy who moved his wedding so that he could get married. Oh, I, mean, I, I was love that like, guy. I mean, that was brilliant. <laughs> but the fact that like that, but it was it was it was just seen as like normal that because they, they they interviewed the. Was it the guy who owned the venue? So he was saying, oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone's, everyone's moved their weddings from today or moved them earlier. Because that guy was getting married earlier and then going to watch the match, wasn't he? I just thought, like, like you, it's so it, it must have been, like, this sort of the pervasive sort of sort of latent, we, we just know we're going to win type thing that, that was yeah. that, that every, everyone had. He, he said as well, the guy in the registry office, didn't he, that that was the only wedding of the day. And he said, yeah. oh, we're going to have a very quiet afternoon here in the Sunderland Registry office. And again, <laughs> it's one of them things. He, he said, like, all oh, the fact that people are willing to walk the wedding plans has taken us by surprise. Like, well, you might not have lived here all that long, my man, because, like, it's, <laughs> it, it is kind of what, what football means. But what the point I was going to make, I don't want to get all too, like, serious and football-y about this because it is about the people and about the story. But one thing which did cross my mind with how confident the Sunderland fans were, I thought to myself, how often would these people have actually seen Leeds United play? And maybe, yeah. again, that adds to the whole context of the era, whereas now, say we were sixth in the championship and we were about mm-hmm. to play Liverpool and Man City, we would be aware of every single player, the strengths and weaknesses, yeah. we'd watch them every week on the telly. Whereas then, because match of the day, but then don't forget, it was highlights of um, or like the full game of one match, literally match yeah. of the day. Um, so so therefore, it, was, it would be very unlikely because Sunderland hadn't been in the first division for some time by this point as well, that you'd probably would be, you'd watch this and yes, you'd be aware of how good Leeds were, but maybe that fear factor didn't come in because actually we didn't know quite how good they were. And even though we know they won all the trophies, we didn't see them week after week, kind of like... Exactly, they, no, you're, you're absolutely right, because they'd recognise the names like Lorimer and Hunter and all that, but it would that would be probably it, wouldn't it? Like you say, it wouldn't have been a case that they probably would have even watched Leeds' semi-final it would probably just literally yeah. be possibly the well, they wouldn't have been played at Roker Park because we were in the same division that season. So, foreseeably, they may not have seen that Leeds team once all season. 
in any mm-hmm. way, shape or form other than maybe the highlights of the goal. And yeah, it's just a totally different way to consume football, I think, than we do now, where it's like you can literally access anything you want. And it, I think it maybe does take away some of the magic and people often talk about how the magic of the FA Cup's not what it was. And I think probably that has a lot to do with it because you're just watching, you, you know, even if you're a League Two team, you, you know, you you when you're playing a Premier League team, you know probably more, some people will know more about the Premier League team than they do about their own team in terms of the players mm-hmm. and stuff like that, certainly younger fans. Whereas it obviously was totally, totally the other way around in 1973. Yep, you, you went to the match or you didn't really see football apart from if you watch shoot on a, Saturday, on a Sunday well, afternoon. Some people used to go to Newcastle one weekend and some of them the next. Mm-hmm. They? Was that, they, that, was, that was seen as normal. I think, my, dad, my dad used to do that. He, I I, think, he, said, he said that numerous times because that's just what people did. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of died out by this sort of era. I think that was more like the fifties. Yeah. But um. But no, I, I just think it's um. I just think it was a really interesting point to see how obviously kind of you, you get the hubris on the day and you and you're excited for it and you and I think if someone stuck a microphone in front of me and you on Cup final day, we wouldn't dare predict the Sunderland defeat. But yeah. I, I do kind of think now you'd get a lot more kind of trepidation going into the game, whereas there was like the raw kind of excitement of the occasion, which I just think was beautiful to observe. And um, what I've got next is um kind of just as you say, people like marching through the streets of Sunderland and getting this kind of like communal life that you don't necessarily get. I love the, the, the footage of the people running down the street into that ugly one house on the street who's got the TV yeah. and they put the game on. They've got a big spread out. There's all like sandwiches, mm. cakes, tea. There's the woman singing a bag with me in some kind of weird opera falsetto voice. And well, well like, there's, there's sort of like a teenage lad start look, looking really embarrassed while she's singing it as well. <laughs> It's super, and then, and then, but what I love, like for me, one of the stars of the show is um, when the when the kids are playing footy in the back straight, and you can see Roker in the background, the, yeah. the Jack Russell running around having to kick about with Sunderland yeah. Rose on. It's absolutely, <laughs> absolutely it's superb. And then the cinema as well, because they're putting it on there, and yes, huge piling in, aren't they? And they've got the bar on the go, and there's kids, there's kids like sitting on the rails around the side, and there's people obviously like coming in, getting the drinks, and sitting down in like in rows. Like you, yeah, you don't really watch football in formal rows like that anymore, no. do you? Either it's very, no. very strange. When I was I, thinking, I was, I can't imagine watching a game in the cinema. The only t- I've never watched a game in the cinema, but the only similar experience I've got to this was because, as you know, I grew up in like rural county Durham, so everything was a little. I wrote the 1973 is probably still a futuristic year in certain parts. <laughs> but um, I remember watching a World Cup game. I think it was uh, it was a Euro 2004, World Cup 2006, and like obviously I was only a kid at the time, but I think I went and we had to watch it. And there was like the Workingmen's Club was very yeah. much set up like that, and they had the big function room open. And yeah. they had like like the people sat in rows, but you touch on a good point. The fact that the cinema showed it, like you just wouldn't get that now because yeah. like back then, what people don't realize, it wasn't really custom for pubs to show like live sport in the way we do now. Absolutely or have, not. Yeah. Or have TVs TVs in the pub? Like you know, you went to the pub very much to have a beer and get away from the television. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cinema would have been a local family-owned business as well, as opposed to a yeah. chain. So therefore, they would be able to show whatever they wanted to show at that given time. It would be like an Odeon or a Cineworld or whatever. It was. It was just I can't remember the name of the other documentary, but it certainly seemed to be a, you know, like a like a local like local two Sutherland type thing. So another another thing that you don't get because a lot of things like cinemas and stuff now would all be just generic chains where they wouldn't yeah. even consider putting a football match on. And um, what was great as well was the short. Um... 
when the when they showed like the bar opening and stuff, what I thought was interesting is just a song which I think is going to be the most used phrase I think of a podcast that you just you wouldn't say that now. Is you look at um, we were singing Sunland Aces now, that's a chant that yeah. I've been told about by a lot of people of that generation, but I've never heard it out because it, when I watched it the other day, I'd forgotten about this bit and I nearly kind of threw my laptop in horror. I was thinking they were actually singing Blade <laughs> yeah, and Races, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then I realized, oh, and then like I actually rewound it, like, and listen, yeah. it was like, oh no, that's definitely Sunland Aces, like, fair play. Um, but my other thing as well, like Bob Stoker was 42 years old in this cup final. He was a very <laughs> young manager. Like how, like how old did men of that era look? Like, Crazy, yeah. I mean, he looks he looks like 60. He could well could be could be 60 in there in that. I mean, the only thing, Barry, he looks quite athletic, but facially and with his hair and everything, he definitely looks older than 42. Yeah, so and I think most of the players look 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 way older than they are. I mean, Bobby Kerr looks like he could be about 45, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think um, I think as well, like because obviously when you're a child and you see things, you think everybody's the oldest man alive, don't you? But yeah. I remember even as a teenager thinking, my God, like Stork always oh, moving well, isn't he? And now I'm thinking, yeah. well, of course he did. He was forty two. He, he, got... he probably only retired from playing about six or seven years prior yeah. to, to that day, hadn't he? Exactly, and that just again, it's just it's just One absolutely. What the on them is when they're getting on the bus. Uh, obviously, Porterfield is just briefly shown, isn't he? And they all just look so calm. And I noticed it again in the tunnel on the way out. It's almost like the the pervasive feeling of this is our day. It obviously extended to the, to the team to an extent as well because they just there was no sort of nerves. They just looked almost serene. Like Stoko just looked like he was just getting on the bus to go to go to work. You know, he, he didn't look like he was getting on the bus to go to Wembley for a cup final, did he? It was, just, it was so calm <laughs> and collected. And it's, weird. it's the it's the reserve probably partially is the reserved nature of of, of of football even back then, but. Certainly, as well. I think um, it struck me how I, I would have thought they'd look at least a little bit, a little bit more nervous than they did. I don't want to go like too overboard, but again, that's kind of a little bit like what Alex Nails like. Now he's like, right, I'm going to work. This is what I do. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a lot of business as usual element to it. But what I think is interesting about that is what you mentioned. You bang on because I don't know if you've ever read Stoke or Sunderland in '73 by Lance Hardy. I believe it's an absolutely excellent. Essential reading, in my opinion, for I haven't actually read it. I will. I do need to. I do need to. Uh, do need, I have heard of it before, but I haven't read it. No. You'll love it because it really follows like the the social journey of kind of like what football meant to the town from mm-hmm. before Stoke's appointment. It gives you the preface and the background. Anyway, I'm kind of digressing slightly, but what yeah. it mentions in that book is um, people who were involved with Sunderland at the time. But they were really relaxed and actually they looked at Leeds and like we can see fear in their eyes, their kind of like nervous trepidation about the game. And the, and they saw like them they were watching Grandstand and um, before they went and they said, Dear me, like look at how like kind of like formal they look and how serious and like, oh my god, yeah. I couldn't play like that. Whereas the Sunderland lads are all like a lot of them had a couple of beers the night before, like ones yeah. that drank, and it was kind of encouraged that social aspect. And we kind of went to the game, I think, with the attitude of right, this is a free hit. We've got the entire kind of like, yeah, got the entire like town behind us and like Durham behind us, and we're going to go there and we're going to put on a show. And I think that was very much the feeling. Whereas like Leeds, I think, were a little bit stifled, and you kind of saw that from from kickoff. Like we won, like kind of like a tackle deep in their well, heart. I, I made a note of that. The immediate uh, Norman Hunter plays the ball, and Dennis Stewart intercepts it straight away. And it's almost like we're like set the tone, like we come flying out the trap straight away because we all three players just bomb forward immediately and, and Stewart wins the ball. And that, that sort of sets the tone for it, I think. And I also made a note to if anybody watches this, but just check out the referee's outfit. The cuffs on that shirt are absolutely amazing. They go halfway up to his elbow. I've never seen anything quite like it. It's brilliant. White sort of bl- black shirt with massive white cuffs on it. So uh, keep an eye out for that as well. And the, um, then it pans away from Wembley. 
and it goes back to Sunderland and it just shows a completely empty yeah. town centre, doesn't it? Exactly. But then if they find the TV shop, Lloyd's TV shop, where slowly more and more people seem to be appearing appearing outside it. And um, I think the first proper footage you get from that is, is, is when Porterfield scores, isn't it? And it's just absolute limbs outside the TV shop. It's brilliant. <laughs> No, it is absolutely superb. But I think what what we have actually overlooked is so are we kind of claiming that Bob Stoke invented the Gergen Press? Well, potentially, yeah. I, th- I think I think I think this is video evidence that he might well have done. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So just before we go on to kind of talk about what you've set the scene for there, Jimmy, when them um, Jim um, from when um, Portville scores a goal, then we'll just go to a quick break now, and then we'll kind of talk about um, the game in a bit more detail, and we'll talk about the scenes that followed at full time. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Wise Men Say podcast. We have uh, just taken a quick break there and we are now going to move on to the, the meat on the bones, if you like, of this documentary, which is the match itself. Um, Ian Portfield scores. Um, as I briefly mentioned just before the break, there was limbs outside of the TV shop. There were also some severe limbs in that lady's front room, weren't there? Oh, honestly, that family is just one of my favourite. It's just the most kind of like just Sunderland things yeah, I've ever it's watched. Amazing. Like, just, <laughs> Just like it's just great, like get it up the park, man. Like <laughs> it's, it's a combination of like smartly dressed ladies with a lovely, a lovely sort of spread on, but then they're screaming at the TV and going absolutely mental when we score. It's brilliant. It's superb, and yeah, it, it was just wonderful to see. Like you see the spreads on, everyone's like dressed up in nines in red and white, and but you can just see like kind of the emotion, the passion, and how much. Well, there's that that girl just burst into tears as soon as the goal goes in, um, in yeah. that in that living room, and, and sort of her mum's like saying, "Oh, you know, trying to comfort her," and you can just see the tears are streaming down her cheek. She obviously yeah. it's like everything everything she'd hoped would happen has just happened type thing, and it's brilliant to watch. Oh, it's great! Just like as you say, like literal kind of like. Just, just an unfiltered joy, just like screaming, like literal, just like just losing all sense of kind of just like it must have felt like an out of body experience. I mean, even watching that back, I'll get like goosebumps. Oh, like, absolutely! Everyone go, everyone going mad in like kind of a straight like you see. In the and... cinema, there's a kid, there's a kid just started running around in a circle in the in the cinema. It's amazing. He's like, please, doesn't know what to do. 
Do you just stop running? It's, really- well, it, it's excellent, but I think that touches on. I mean, I don't wish to be kind of um, like stereotypical, so please kind of like forgive me if I am. But I think like a lot back then, kind of like it was a very male dominated sport. So uh, you're looking like in that room, I don't mean this in a bad way, I actually mean it in a very positive way. That like I don't actually think that maybe many people in that room would have been like fanatical football fans necessarily or went to the matches, but you could just see how much civic pride they had and how much kind of like Sunderland doing well meant to them and just the momentum they got behind the town and it just like looked absolutely like just absolutely fantastic and well, that's just, something i remember my mum my mum and dad saying to me that like even people who didn't support didn't like football everybody watched it and it was mm-hmm. it went way way beyond like people who go and watch Sunderland in the league it was it was a thing for the town it was it was far far more than that and like you say i mean though you know those sort of the the the, the maybe the more middle-aged and older women in that in that living room will almost certainly I mean obviously like you say hopefully hopefully I'm wrong in a way but I'd very much doubt they'd have been going to Roker Park every other Saturday but when it came to this game it meant everything to them as you can see by the way they were watching it and I just think it's absolutely brilliant it is but I, I do think that's one thing which is kind of almost unique about Sunderland even now like I know the whole like hotbed of football in the North East it does get a little bit irritating that kind of cliche but I do think it is true that like in Sunderland like if you say it to someone or like do you like football and go oh no not really but they still will have like a passing interest to look out for the scores of probably your own Sunderland kids as a teenager like my, my cousin like he's born and bred like in Sunderland he's lives in Canada now and he's never really been the foot he's only really gone to games when he's got corporate tickets and he can kind of have a good day on the lash but even he like when he, he came back to visit family the other week and he and, the, and we talked about football non-stop for half an hour yeah. and he he was very aware of like kind of or like because it was a Sunday after the uh, first leg against Sheffield Wednesday and he was like mm-hmm. saying oh like um, I couldn't believe like how good the atmosphere looked the other night and kind of like oh we just need to get out of this league don't work and I think that is very unique about Sunderland in yeah. that like eight, eight, the, the amount of kind of like pride and the kind of source the of the amount of times you, you're walking back to the train station or to the, or to the metro or to the car and I've you've had people I've had people you know stop stop in the car and say what was the score what, what happened and the, you know people obviously hadn't beaten the match and everybody asks you like there's been taxi drivers a fella there was one game this season I think it might have been the uh, the, the, the Shrewsbury one when we got the last minute goal and obviously they must have had an inkling that we'd scored late on and some fella ran out of a shop and just like did we win what would you know what happened like type thing and, and I was kind of thinking well can you just look, look it up on your phone but obviously he hadn't done and it was quite nice and kind of old school that he came out and asked and I think that that's another example like you say because he obviously isn't a massive football fan but even he was bothered about the fact that we won which um, obviously there's a lot of that going on in the documentary as well uh, which which is great to see now one one other thing I wanted to notice is that the the Howie lads chant has sped up a bit since nineteen seventy three, hasn't oh, it? Just a little bit. <laughs> it, it, it's like every chant going, but honestly, I was just about to say that funnily enough, because I was gonna move on to the Monty Say, but one of my favourite bits is just at the start of that clip when ladies have a ball on the halfway line, just how we have a lads literally my like yeah. my spine was tingling. Oh, you can hear it, it's brilliant. And, and as you say, sung at the, the correct tempo, really. Like Yeah, really, yeah, I mean, yeah, you sort of understand it a bit more, can't you? And then the Monty Save, obviously, I mean that's Everyone knows the Monty Save, but it's quite it's shown quite well in the documentary because it shows then obviously the, the footage of the save, and then it pans to our three people: the the street, the living room, and the cinema. And everybody just celebrates limbs again when he's made that save. And Monty Calm is like walking over and, and just picking the Leeds player up, and everybody's just like absolute limbs all around the all around the city of Sunderland as a result. <laughs> yeah, but what was what was great about that as well? Not only the kind of scenes of celebration, but the bewilderment of what they're just saying because, yeah. like, even like so, like, um, the the core commentator, I think it was um, like Jimmy Hill, our best friend, and he 
he didn't realise that Montgomery had saved it until about the second or third replay. Yeah. Because it was actually the footage, obviously, he's not in this, but and it and I can actually remember it word for word. And he goes, and it turned out to be an incredible miss. And then he yeah. and then he goes, Oh no, what a save. Like <laughs> he literally like he can't he can't believe it, he can't comprehend it. He's managed to save it. And well Mont Monty always jokes if he held the first one, nobody would probably remember him. <laughs> That's very true. But I mean I mean it is the best save. I mean, it was obviously voted the best save at Wembley there's ever been. And you can I mean you know, it is it is arguably the best the best save in, in football of all time, in my opinion. So certainly can't. I mean, you're 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 much more the goalkeeping expert than me, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Pretty sure, um, you know, you'd have to agree that it, it is, it defies the laws of physics in many ways. That save doesn't, and oh, the way it was just another sign that, like, that if ever a day has been a team's day, that day was our day. Yeah, um, and then we kind of, but as well, you know, it is. I get, I get nervous watching that family watching the few, last few minutes of the game. I still, yep. there's still that sense of dread. Like, and even when I watched the game back myself, when my dad showed me before games as a kid, and that, I still get that sense of like kind of nerves that Leeds are somehow going to score, and like mm-hmm. kind of like history's going to be rewritten, and yeah. it's just, it's just nuts. Like, you see, you think to yourself like, but what you forget about Ben as well, it would have been a replay, wouldn't it, if Leeds are forced the equaliser? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and the way it goes as well, it was like I noticed the the, the stress levels in the. In, in their living room were the, definitely the highest. I think the people on the street were a bit more, they, just a bit, they seemed a bit more lively. There was that one woman who said she'd got out of the house to get away from the stress. And then obviously she's, she's can't stop watching the TV. Down the street. Now she's watching the TV outside the shop instead. But um, yeah, it builds and builds. And then when that final whistle goes, the, my favourite bit is the cinema. There's that man who's just obviously got a fresh pint and he just like starts necking it. It's, it's just a pretty, it's like an old man as well. It's just great little bit of footage of it. And just everyone goes absolutely crazy, as obviously you'd expect them to, but yeah. yeah. It's just just a brilliant end to a brilliant game. Man. Oh, it's it's so it's so heartwarming. And again, when you see this kind of um pour out into the streets and the whole like AI had your way won the cup and yeah. that and that man who's like just proudly shown his copy of a footy yet all of the camera yeah. and he goes like he, 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 he says something, doesn't he? He's he like the people of the town willed it or something like that. Is he, is he the guy? It, it's it's not quite that bloke, but I do think. Oh um, no, he's the one who goes. It's there, man. It's there. We would it, look, it, and he's pointing to it, isn't he? Yeah, it? yeah. It, it, almost as if we do. We need it very that we've managed to pull this off and, yeah, which is strange because again it is at odds with the, with the confidence before the game as if like oh wait we're just going to win this game obviously and yeah. then it, and then it, and then it, like the scenes of disbelief kind of contradict that we've like, actually done it <laughs> yeah it, it was just unbelievable um, there's that man who said, he, he said he would have walked there at half time but he was like I wish I'd gone I wish I'd gone and he's like he's clearly fuming that he's, that he's managed, to, not managed to get a ticket and he's missed it, but also he's buzzing at the same time. So he's like yeah. caught in this hybrid of emotions. It's amazing. It's brilliant. <laughs> then there's the one guy, like, you're sure some things do never change. The one, like, quite young little fellow, he's got a scarf to it around and he's absolutely smashed and he's kind of pointing <laughs> at the camera. What Bob Swartwell's done for this time, <laughs> man? <laughs> It's amazing. It's just like, but I noticed as well. Like, there was even even the cool kids were buzzing. That there was this, there was these, there was these this sort of young couple who get interviewed, and the woman looks a bit sort of like sort of seventies hippie style, like the kind of person you wouldn't expect to to be into footy. And the fella with us, like you know, got a proper like smart sort of seventies cool dude that outfit, and even they're just absolutely buzzing. And it's just great to see that like even the cool kids sort of let themselves go and celebrated a bit. It was brilliant. 
But but yeah, some of like some of the characters are absolutely unbelievable. So I think the the best man, like sorry, the best man in this documentary, like you like kind of half quarter there, and he and he just said before the game it was a foregone conclusion, and I'm thinking he's going to say that Leeds were going to win, but we won. But no, he goes before the game it was a foregone conclusion that suddenly would beat Leeds because of this town willed it, and yeah. that the me just sums up the entire kind of and everything. His face, he's just, he's just like he's so like full of life and happiness. He just looks like he could not be any happier. And it's just, yeah. it's just brilliant to see. It's a really, really good call. Also, there's people doing the easy, easy. Yes. Point as well. It was like, That's was incredible. soccer I am on in 1973 or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was just waiting for someone to pop and say who's the longest in the showers at that point. Like, I was just like, <laughs> like it was just, it was just mad. But it was just brilliant. Also, man. The, the Leeds Building Society people run up and start dancing from the Leeds <laughs> Building Society. Absolutely brilliant, absolutely <laughs> incredible, and like just like people like pipping like the car horns are driving around. Oh, it's but great, You're just doing laps. <laughs> one of my favourite quotes in, in the whole thing is when they um they asked this kind of like group of like quite like nice looking women, just like kind of like all like all kind of women, like just kind of saying like very endearing. And then you said to them, also, what would you say to someone that said like Sunderland had absolutely no chance of beating Leeds? And they just went, Nick, it's have a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> Great, just a brilliant expression that I think we should bring back if we can. <laughs> and then um, there's also that fellow as well who um, says like he, he's like he's he, he bringing the city to life. Like it's for the bands, it's for the women, it's for everyone. And like, and he basically kind of kind of saying what we've been saying. The fact that it's more than just the people who support Sunderland properly. That like, that win is for everyone. And he stood there on the street just looking out at all these people celebrating. And uh, yeah, it just, it just looks really good. There's also the man who goes on about how many paracetamols he's taken. Yeah, he's but like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm thinking like. Are you sure that's a good idea? <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was a little bit concerned for his welfare, but then, of course, I can't do a great deal about it, can I? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like thinking, you sure you should have had more paracetamols than pints? <laughs> I was thinking, like, that's, not, that's probably not very good for you, mate. <laughs> oh, man, but he definitely thought he was kind of like holding court, didn't he? And he was kind of yeah. like the spokesman of who he was with because he, yeah. when they were singing the song, like he kind of like held the note far longer than everybody else. He was, <laughs> this was this was his moment in the spotlight, one of those. And then, then he just kind of like looks at the camera, really, con- more paracetamol. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly, absolutely love paracetamol. Like that. And there's also oh, that's uh, it wasn't paracetamol, you know. Like, you know it could have been anything. Well, I, I don't know. But, but then, then there's the um, the woman with the Sunderland knickers on as well when she when they pull, <laughs> the, pull the skirt up and it's a bit it's a bit of a bizarre shot to be honest. It's like, is, is that like are they really going to do this? And then yeah, they just she's just got some Sunderland knickers on and she's getting her ass out in the middle of, <laughs> in the middle of the what looks like. So, it's sort of like some kind of working men's club or something, isn't it? It was, oh, like, it was outstanding. Um, but to kind of bring it on to a little bit of a more serious point, and I've kind of considered this since watching it, do you reckon the people in the documentary and kind of Sunderland fans in general back then realised the significance of that game and how significant our history would then go on to be? Um, I, th- I think, well, because a lot of them reference 37 and think that that's a long time ago. So I think that given that it's nearly double the amount of time now since we last won anything, I doubt I doubt they realize, I doubt they would have realized how significant it's because to be. at the time, like obviously if it was like so Leeds dominated for a spell, Liverpool had a spell where they dominated, you know, Man United in the in the fifties and the sixties, but in overall, kind of there still was that kind of like one percent of hope where if you appointed the right manager. Yeah. and you signed the right players at the start of the season, there was hope you could win the league, no matter what league you were mm-hmm. in. Well, I think look, Le- Leeds came from nowhere, didn't they, a few seasons yeah. before? And well, well, Man United as well, like you said. 
Liverpool before Shankly were a middle and second division club. You know, it was kind of if if you if you had the right manager, and I think that was why there's so many Sunderland fans kind of look back and say like, oh, like if only we'd appointed Brian Clough. And this again is what football's bringing to bringing yeah. out. So for example, like our kind of failures, or I've lived this game through watching this documentary through family members, and that's the great thing about football. It yeah. almost seems like it's just so omnipresent. We almost feel like we've lived and breathed every kick since we were founded. Yeah. And, and and kind of through, hopefully through kind of like future generations, like this will kind of like live on and live on. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what is interesting, the point you made, so it just shows again, I think we talked about this last week, how mad time is. So you think it was only 36 years between those two cup victories. So it's perfectly feasible that people in that as well would have been alive when we won the, we won the top flight in 1936. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, you know what I mean. So, well, yeah, I mean, kind of... I mean, that fellow who went in, who went in thirty-seven, the man we mentioned at the start, yeah. he'll, he'll have definitely been, he'll have been at Roker Park when we won that. I would yeah, so it's meant to think that that in back then, in people's lifetimes, we'd won in, in living memory, we'd won the equivalent mm-hmm. of the Premier League. And now we're just so far removed from that. It's unbelievable. So I just think that maybe, like, in hindsight, like, people, it, it's a brilliant documentary and it captures a lot of things. But I just wonder, like, if then people, like, kind of had any idea or any comprehension of the part of history that they were witnessing. Oh, I do think that's a really good point you've made about how, in that era, um, you, in theory, a lot more teams could do could win could win the league, could even establish a bit of a legacy than compared to what it is now. Because like you say, and I think that there's... Because obviously people who lived through the success in the 30s and then the FA Cup win previously. And I think maybe for them, they will have seen us as a lot closer to to a, a team at the top of the of Division 1 than what we would see to ourselves. Even the team in the Championship would see themselves to Man City or Liverpool now because obviously how different football is. And I wonder whether that kind of fed into the... Not the confidence to win because it would still be a massive underdogs, but maybe more the fact that like maybe they, they were thinking we're on our way back. Type yeah. things. Like, this, this is us coming back to where we belong. What I wonder is, let's say, like, through some kind of, like, freak of nature, but, like, the Wise Men Say podcast was around in 1973. Yeah. Um, like, would we be doing, like, podcasts that summer talking about, like, Stoke or winning the second division and then basically going straight and challenging the top? I, I would imagine that would be what would, what would, what people would have thought would happen, yeah, definitely. You know, and it kind of is a little bit of a shame what kind of happened after. I know we did get promoted, but it took us a further two or three seasons and then Stoke or mm-hmm. Ill Health had to, had to pack in. But no, um, as I say, though, I just think it's, it was just such a, a good documentary. And it's just like, mm-hmm. as I say, it's very rare that, like, as a city and as a town where you get kind of, like, good kind of, like, press nationally. And I think that if it was one kind of almost, like, social kind of artefact I would show people to encapsulate what, for me, the region's all about and what Sunderland means to me, I would absolutely encourage you to spend half an hour of your life watching this because it's really kind of like life-affirming and like heartwarming. heartwarming we'll, really. t- we'll, we'll tweet a link out to the, the, the um, to, you know, sort of the full, the, the full thing is, is on, is, is on there. Is it, what, it's on the, whose website is it? I think it's on the Yorkshire Film Archive website and it, it's on there in full and we'll tweet the yeah. link out for that. And um, I'd also, I think what the way, the way it ends is quite nice as well because, the play you'll never walk alone, which obviously we now think has just been a Liverpool Celtic Feyenoord song, um, and possibly other teams as well. But I think back then it was obviously in the charts, wasn't it? So I think a lot more people sang it, and it sums up, you know, it, it obviously is a song that sums up football quite well, especially in, in, in a scenario where you win. I think you'll never walk alone um, encapsulates a lot about what what that meant for for anyone from Sunderland on that day, and everyone was singing it, and, and yeah, it just it was just a really nice ending to it, to be fair. Yeah, hundred percent. And I just think that kind of all of like, unless you've got any kind of like more points on the documentary you want to make. 
No, I think that, that that's it for me. I think I think the end the ending's perfect, and like you said, I would encourage anybody to watch it. It's it's really important, but what one thing I want to go out on is like kind of for me that that shows kind of like what Sunderland is all about, and kind of if you if you're not fortunate enough to be down there on on Saturday, I'm sure that we will kind of see some like very similar scenes in the in the town on Saturday. Kind of obviously not necessarily red and white rosettes, but kind of how much it'll mean to people. And I'm sure all the bars and the pubs will be absolutely rammed, and people who maybe even aren't the biggest football fans will all be right behind the lads. And hopefully we'll have a we'll have a really good piss up both down London and back up in the North Face when we return to the championship and somewhere near our rightful players because God knows we deserve it after so long and we can finally see a Sutherland fan in the flesh after 49 years, see a win at Wembley and that's just really what I want to go out on. So whatever you're Mm -hmm. doing on Saturday, whether you're down at Wembley, have a great time. If you're up in Sutherland watching it in your house, whether you go out the town, just have an absolute blast and um, hopefully um, the club and Alex Neal can do you proud and just however lads, enjoy it. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.